James chapter 4, verse 4. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Such a disruptive passage, such a disruptive category. Friends, welcome to the Ransom Tart Podcast, part two in a series on the world. John Eldridge with my son, Sam Eldridge, in the studio this time. Various conversations over uh, the past couple months with, with team members about what is this thing called the world and, and why are we so um, kind of passionately warned about it in Scripture? You know, James says that pure religion is to keep yourself unstained or unpolluted from the world. How do you do that? What are the categories that you even begin to think in? And so that's all this is. It's just an attempt over several episodes to try and put some categories out there to begin to think through this thing called the world and why in heaven's name would friendship with it be enmity with God? So warned about, right? It's terrifying. (laughs) And it also like feels impossible. How are we not committing this? How are we not yeah. in the world? Yes, yes. Well, as Wordsworth said, the world is too much with us. So last time, a uh, quick definition, as we did in our opening podcast in the series, we're not talking about nature, the world as in planet Earth. God loves planet Earth. And we're not talking about the world as mentioned in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his own son. We're not talking about humanity. The world as we're using it here is something else. It is a deeply embedded system of values and assumptions and momentum created by the collective energy of human sin, frankly. And how do we do life without God? That's one of the core characteristics of the world is how do we make life work apart from God. And then starting from there, you know, off we go. We put two phenomena out last time, Starbucks and self-driving cars, in order to just begin to ask ourselves, what in heaven's name does it say about us? What does it say about the human race when convenience is clearly one of our highest values, if not like the driving value? Okay, this time, I want to put two, two more out there. I want to start with the tattoo because I think it's benign, because I think it is just there. I think it's neither fish nor fowl. It just is. But Once upon a time, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. But it's not anymore, and that's part of why I want to talk about it yeah. because it's not just sailors and mercenaries. In our culture, moms are getting tattooed. (laughs) Right. Grandmothers. Like, it is very, very popular. $1.6 billion a year spent on tattoos in the U.S. It's crazy. Right? So, it's this is a thing. If we're trying to unpack the world, like, what does that thing say to us? When I just throw that out there, the phenomenon of grandmothers to sixth graders are getting tattoos. What is that? What is the human longing there? What's going on? Yeah, it strikes me as personhood, expression. I mean, there's so many forms of art that are then, you know, this this declaration to the world of this is me. 
They are identity statements. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They are identity statements. And I think that's very, very significant. I was reading an interesting article online. A woman was writing about why tattoos and why she chooses to get tattoos. And let me quote a little bit from this. She says, there's a myriad of reasons why someone would get a tattoo. Many of them blur the line between personal and social. I have no doubt that some people get tattoos because they desire a certain aesthetic, right? They can be beautiful. It's, it's art, right? Or to be part of a trend. However, I strongly believe most people want something permanent and meaningful that they can look to for strength while also appreciating it as an art form. For me, I want tattoos because I'm seeking permanence and strength. Because oftentimes I drift into the feeling that we are mistakes and that I am frighteningly alone in this world. Nothing to tether you to reality like a tattoo. <laughs> well, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, no, and, that's, and that's what, crazy. what does it mm. say about us? Okay, so you have, mm-hmm. I like the word personhood mm-hmm. and identity statements. Okay, second social phenomenon to throw out there. It is the... Post a review, leave a comment. I hate that so much. <laughs> I knew I was going to get you on this. I way. turn that off of everything I have the ability to. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want you to take five seconds to give me your thoughts. My map. My my map program is prompting me to leave a review after I've left somewhere. Yes, every single time. How did you like the tacos? That you know. You must be an expert on tacos. Salsa, Please review salsa. this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a cultural phenomenon. It's there. It's it's on every single website you visit. Every product you're going to buy, check the reviews, right? Or every movie, check the reviews. But also, my goodness, all over people's Facebook pages and personal websites, it, people can leave comments. Right. I mean, you can't post a thought without getting people's feedback on it. And there's this quote that I love from JFK that's too often we enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. <laughs> okay. So... This is a very intriguing thing. Like, you are just a little energized by comments and reviews. I get so triggered, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think because I've been I've been on the receiving end of so many of them. Being a creator, I've really had my <laughs> my posture. I had to stop myself from saying opinion because we are in a culture where your opinion has as much value as an expert in that field. Bingo! Like that's it. It's insane. Everyone now is entitled right. to an opinion. There's this assumption that your opinion matters as much as anyone else's. Right. And gang, like, what does that say about the world? Okay, this search for selfhood, this search for permanence, identity, and the whole tattoo movement. And then this opinionated world that is so entitled to leave a comment or review feeling as though as legitimate as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. I think what we're getting to here in episode two is the self. The self is the epicenter of the world, as the scripture refers to it. And, And just to give you contrast, but God is the epicenter of the kingdom. Okay, so you have the kingdom and you have the world, and in the epicenter of the kingdom is God. And the focus of everyone's love and attention, but in the world, it is the self. And we did a series on envy. Mm -hmm. And in the series on envy, 
we described our current world as the triumph of the offended self. Okay, that that's what we have operating now. But how could we get to the triumph of the offended self? How did we get there? Well, first we exalted the self. You exalt the self, you pamper the self, you tell the self everything is here for your convenience, mm, episode right. one. And then when the self ain't happy, <laughs> one star, terrible service. <laughs> you post it, man. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you have on the one end, Jefferson being like, everyone is intrinsically valuable. As a human being, you have rights, you should be defended, you should be fought for. And you're like, whoa, like the peasants, we actually matter now. And like, this is awesome. And then you get down the road to the offended self after enough centuries go by. Right, right. Ugh. Yeah, because of the world, because this is this is a system of values, assumptions, momentum, agreements, collective, right, force. Oh, and part of me gets it, man. Like, if there's no God, I, I don't know why we're all not driving really, really fast and doing whatever drugs and alcohol and prostitutes. We, like, I, I understand what's exactly. keeping the fabric together. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so what we want to unpack here in episode two is what happens when you make the self the epicenter. What are some of the effects of that? And I, and I think offense and the online culture of hatred and the fact that you can just rip anybody to shreds anywhere, anytime online, and you feel like your opinion is as valid. And gang, like, just to kind of give you the shocking values of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is actually not a democracy. It is a kingdom. And everyone's opinion is not equally valid. Someone who is wise in Scripture is considered much more worthy of a voice than someone who is called the fool. But the fool, if he's silent, <laughs> can still hang out in the room. Exactly. Yes, they, the Scripture urges the fool to just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> right. But in our culture, the fool is given a microphone mm -hmm. and led to believe that their voice actually carries the same amount of weight. And if this is even beginning to kind of disrupt you, listener, you just, right, we are all so close to the world, it feels like we have to separate ourselves one half inch from it, even in this series, to talk about it. So, Sam, a few months ago, you and I were driving down the road in my truck one day, and we, we were riffing on a conversation that was triggered by Susie, your wife's work in the hospital, works yeah. as a nurse in the main hospital downtown here, which is a pretty gnarly place, okay? Pick us up with that conversation, like what Susie was saying, what she's discovering down there. Yeah, we were talking about it, and I think we were discovering some of the fruit of a particular posture that will kind of work backwards to get to. Something that she has been seeing working on this med surge floor is that people are showing up more and more sick, worse and worse off, and crashing harder. She doesn't share particular stories with me because she knows that I'm a writer and I would just love to take those <laughs> and run with it. And she's very respectful of HIPAA and all that. However, she's able to share that, contrary to what we would think, in this day of modern medicine, people are showing up in one of her rooms and they are in bad shape. And we were asking her why. And she was naming something that all of the other nurses have also been aware of, that there's been this trend that people have been over these last few years seeming to be getting worse. And the reason that they've been naming is that 
actually we're able to prolong and allow certain life habits for for years. So you can live in a way that is unhealthy and we can throw as many medications and treatments at you to keep you alive and to keep your quality of life going so that when you do crash, it's bad. Like you, you're just staving things off. And yeah, it, you can smoke. You can smoke, we, we you can, can drink, rescue you can do you. IV we, drugs. Yeah. We'll you, keep you alive. Exactly. You can eat terribly. You, you can live a, a completely sedentary and horrible lifestyle, but we, can, we have some meds to help you with that. We can take care of your high blood pressure. We can take care of your high cholesterol. We can take care of your low blood pressure, right? On and on it goes. Like the assumption in our culture now is that we can live however we want and medicine will rescue us. Right. And we were backing up from that. Yeah, the words that came for me were that it seems like in that arena and in so many others, the posture now is we can have more freedom with less responsibility. So in this case, the the health, the wellness, the, the way that you take care of your body, you can have more freedom. You can eat fast food every day. You can smoke cigarettes every day. You can never exercise. You can just you know, have somebody else take care of that for you. So you have more freedom to do what you want and you have less of the repercussions on your body, on your health. They will still be there and they will come with a vengeance later on. But the message that most people are given are, yeah, you can do, you can do whatever you want and we will we'll take care of the repercussions. We will bail you out. More freedom, less responsibility. That is one of the fruits when you make the self the epicenter of life. Right, the exalted self. Not only do you wind up with the offended self or the entitled self, but the self does not want consequences. Mm-hmm. Free me from the consequences of my actions. Right, yeah. come through for me. It sounds like the child after you know getting all the candy from trick or treating, wanting to eat the entire bag, but not wanting to deal with the stomach ache, with the sugar rush, with the cavities. Like I want to be right. able to do these things, but I don't. That yeah. part, let's get rid of that part. Yeah, and then start applying that to other places in culture, particularly sexually, like the the sexual revolution, you know, the explosion and availability of contraceptives, um, and frankly, abortion on demand. And, and I realize this is a very volatile subject, but we have to name it because the majority of abortions that are being, you know, performed in the U.S. are not— in life-saving circumstances. Right, they're right? elective. They're elective, and it is, I don't want to live with the consequences of my sexual lack of restraint, control, licentiousness, however you want to name it, immorality. And the culture says, okay, that's all right. We can take care of that for you. Like, mm-hmm. you can live any way you want sexually, and we've got antibiotics to take care of any transmitted diseases and you know, we've got abortion to take care of any unwanted pregnancies, et cetera. It is, give me more freedom with less responsibility. Yeah, this was a category that was incredibly convicting for Susie and I in the last few years as we uh, were stepping into so these really controversial waters and we we came across all of the the teaching, the Catholic Humanae Vitae, which is, you know, came out, I think, in 68, and was met with insane backlash, even within the Catholic community of like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me I don't get to use this contraception. You're, you're telling me that I have to continue following the natural cycles of the woman's body or abstain? Like, what are you talking about? I now have the ability to have sex whenever I want it with no repercussions. 
it's controversial because it implies like such massive consequences to what will happen. And what was really interesting, this is another one that I get fired up about all the time. Let me just name, there are four things that Pope Paul VI, they were considered sort of quote-unquote prophecies that he was anticipating would happen in culture when the widespread adoption of contraceptions were used. And I'll just read them to you. He predicted the rise of infidelity and the decline of morality. He predicted a loss of respect for women, the abuse of power, and unlimited dominion. And what's really interesting is there have been studies now that directly correlate the rise of sexual and domestic abuse with the rise of contraception in the household. There's this language of, you are no longer a human being, you are a sexual You're an object, yeah, exactly. And, and we don't have time to go into the sexual madness of the world now, but when you have two million children trafficked every year into the sex trade, you have a world gone sexually mad. And if you just begin backing up from that, well, why is that? Well, you have a world that exalted pleasure above all other constraints. Well, why is that? Well, you back up and you go, well, because we exalted the self. The self and its needs, the self and its satisfaction is the epicenter of what Scripture is railing about called the world. And I don't want to live with the consequences. I mentioned in episode one, we could call this series The Flight from Reality, Mm. because what that says, I don't want to live with consequences, I want more freedom, less responsibility, is the flight from reality. Just life does not work like that. I'm sorry to give one more sexual example, but I was made aware of a survey of Chinese men who were saying that they would prefer sex without a woman, like with a online, you know, pornography or telephone sex or, you know, or a, you know, sexual doll or whatever. I, I don't want to have to deal with a real woman. You see, it's the flight from reality. It's the flight from the world as God made it. And I was cracking up last night as I was doing some research on this and and came back across the 1974 Burger King commercial, which became so popular, everybody could have sung the ditty. If back in the 70s, if you just started with, hold the pickles, hold the relish, special orders don't upset us, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us, have it your way. Have It Your Way was this brilliant marketing campaign. Because in the 70s, it was the triumph of the self, right? We had thrown off the constraints of religion, and we'd thrown off the constraints of family, and the self was operating with great vengeance in the world. But recently, on an Anson's podcast, we were talking about, was it the Diet Coke or the Coke Zero yeah, commercial? One, one of those ones where they say you can have all the good things without any of the bad things. I don't know if that's... Yeah, it's just do you. Well, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. not only is the the thing they're selling them itself like a microcosm of what we're talking about. Exactly. You can have soda, but it's totally not going to kill you, I promise. <laughs> yeah. But the commercial was so upsetting and so classic of the culture. Like, yeah, you want to run a marathon? I mean, that sounds super hard, but like, hey, go for it. Just do you. You do you, and you kind of stay away from me, and I'll do yeah, me. Yeah, you do you, whatever that is. Right. And, okay, I've been binging on a little March Madness. Uh, one of my particular television weaknesses, I have like two, English soccer and March Madness. And the commercials now, the new Vegas commercials that are out, 
right? The whole Vegas thing was what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, now they got a new one. And the new one is be yourself or anyone else. This guy in the commercial is kind of morphing from, you know, he's he's a hipster. Now he's a magician. Now he's at a rock concert. Now he's anything and everything. Get to be anything you want. Are you sure this wasn't a trailer for Ready Player One or The Matrix? <laughs> exactly. And then they've got a woman's version where the two of them, it's very clever. It's very well done. They're, they're brilliantly created. But the, the message is the triumph of the self. And the mm. self can be anything the self wants to be. And there's no consequences to that. I think another symptom, or if we could look at another cultural phenomenon, what happens when you make the self the epicenter is there is no sin anymore. There is just brokenness. In other words, we've done away with any form of language of morality, ethical failure. We've pulled all value-laden language out of the conversations about human behavior. Like, you you can't even say that about people anymore. It's just their brokenness. And so you get, you know, the latest story of, you know, some famous athlete hero who's just an absolute superstar doing some dumb thing in his life, you know, a DUI or he beat up somebody in a bar or whatever. And that very next sentence in the article is their agent saying, well, now, now they're in therapy. Mm-hmm. And conversation over. You literally can't talk about it, right? Or you get the politician that gets caught. And the next thing is, well, they're in rehab, mm-hmm. right? And as if therapy, rehab, treatment, you know, social sensitivity training is one of them removes the moral consequences. I think we all know how you feel about that just by the way you said that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm furious about this because what we have done is we have removed the ability to talk about human behavior in any moral terms. Mm. Like you literally can't use right and wrong, certainly can't use sin, right? We can just talk about choices, preferences, and quote, human brokenness. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the postmodern conversation that we had where when you lose the ability to have definite things, when you when you take away definite right and wrongs, and it's just, well, that that's sort of their moral compass. But since it offended you, because you also matter, and your offense is justified, whatever the situation, they're going to go and they're going to do some soul searching, and they're going to kind of, they're going to work it out. You know, they'll take some wheatgrass shots and go to the beach and <laughs> yeah. not actually change. Or compulsory classes. Yeah. Right. Or, or, but it's never talked about in moral terms. And I think we've lost sin and now all we have is brokenness. And just notice how this has even crept into the church. That the church is affected by the world, gang. We can't avoid that. And in the previous episode on convenience, You know, I was left with the observation of, look what churches have had to do with their services. Like, we offer the Saturday service. We offer the Friday night service. We have to make this more convenient Mm -hmm. to a consumer-driven culture, right? We've got to bow to that because that's just what people expect. You got to be seeker-sensitive. So, this has crept in big time. But so has the language of brokenness, Mm. right? Even devout, followers of Jesus 
rather than saying, whoa, I am repenting of my sin, we have a much more therapeutic language now, where God is healing my brokenness. Yeah, I actually just got a pamphlet in the mail yesterday from a church that's opening a new location here in town. And what's really interesting is the language they used was, come as you are. That's a very trendy mm-hmm. thing to say. And there's something really good about that, right? Absolutely. You do not have to be put together in order to yeah. sit at the table. Yeah. But I've also been to many of their services, and some of them are about change, and some of them are just about, you can kind of stay as you are, <laughs> which is sort of problematic. Come as you are, stay as you are? Yeah. <sighs> Definitely not a kingdom value. Again, just to try and contrast these things as we as we go along, I was looking up um, old hymns the other day. Don't ask me why. Get us off on another thing. But I was looking at an old Amer- early American hymn called Triumph. I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. And I started reading through it, and it is talking about triumph or the self, O apostrophe E-R, over. I have triumphed over the self. Mm. <laughs> like... That is a very, very different worldview than what we have now. Because not only do we have um, not sin, just brokenness, but I think an even more troubling movement that I want to name is healing without God. Mm. You can have human restoration without Jesus Christ. And that is massive. I mean, that is deep, deep, deep out there now. The conferences, the seminars you can go to— the books that are available to you, the classes, the various forms of therapy or hypnosis or Reiki or whatever you want to do. We can restore human beings without the involvement of Jesus Christ. We don't need him. It seems like every industry now is bent around this self-care type thing. Even the language that is therapeutic has become like kind of common things like triggered things like having a daddy issue. Yes. These are these are in mass media, they're they're jokes, they're these things that are like, yeah, we know that you're broken, but you know what's going to fix that is our new cold pressed organic juice and some meditation in the morning. Exactly. This nutritional program, this therapeutic program, this yoga, this hot yoga will do it for you. This And man, I'm so about like taking care and being aware of your body, I as we know. talked about with like the you don't get to eat fast food every day. But like now we're gonna come at the people that are trying to take care of their body. No, but there's no Jesus. See, it's it's difficult. The world is too much with us, as right. Wordsworth said. Late and soon. It is so saturated into the way we do life. Do we believe in human restoration? We sure do. Do we promote human restoration? We sure do. Do we think it is available without Jesus Christ? No, we don't, right? Because again, the flight from reality, I don't want to live with consequences. I don't want to live with the consequences that I've chosen to live without God, right? Well, that's fine. We can take care of that. You don't need God in order for your life to work. And so another way of describing the way the world operates is we will, through technology, through advances in nutrition and medicine and all this, we can make that work for you, right? We can take away consequence and the greatest consequence of all, the greatest flight from reality of all, you don't have to have God and we can still provide for your healing and restoration. And that troubles me deeply. 
because it's not just God. It's there's nothing actually wrong with you. Like you've got you've got some wounding that was probably done to you. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's true, mm-hmm. but that's where it ends, right? You, right? you haven't made any choices that you need to repent from. You're not you're not currently making any choices that need real change. Yeah. When you remove God from the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And again, gang, just to try and contrast this, because we we breathe this air. This is the water we swim in. Just think of the kingdom of God for a moment. What about this thing about take up your cross daily? I mean, the scripture has a view of the self, and I, I was trying to find the essay. C.S. Lewis has this beautiful little four-page essay called Two Ways with the Self, and he's saying, no, 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 it's not to be hated. Scripture doesn't tell you to hate the self in you that wants to rule like a little tyrant. Scripture tells you to pity it, Lewis's line is, now miserable in condition, but Christianity has a remedy for that. There is a savior. There is a process. There, there is discipleship. There is sanctification. There is transformation. That's how we deal with the self, but we certainly don't exalt it as the epicenter of all things mm. and then build a convenient life around it with more freedom and less responsibility. Right? right, and I just found it fascinating, Sam. Like back to the tattoo thing, and this gal. This is a really poignant article. She's talking about this tattoo. Back to the quote earlier, I read. She says that she's going to get a new one, and I want the lyrics to a song by my favorite band, Beach Slang, that say, "We are not alone. We are not mistakes." I want it with a biological heart as the image surrounded by the lyrics. For me, a constant reminder, because oftentimes I drift into the feeling that we are mistakes and I'm frighteningly alone in the world. What is fascinating is that even though we have exalted the self, people's sense of self feels very fragile, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what so much of what we're doing with social media and with reaching out, the sense of loneliness and isolation that has accompanied the rise of the self is staggering. At the very moment that we're kind of putting it, you know, right up there as the pinnacle of human existence, I think people actually are experiencing a loss of a sense of self now more than ever. And part of that goes back to our convenience podcast and the fact that it, it is by processes that we undertake over years that we gain a sense of skill and mastery and and therefore a sense of self. I also think of the analogy of children in homes that are going through a divorce. Like if the child has to create their own narrative, the narrative is very fragile and very small. Yes. But if it's created for them and they're a part of it, then they feel safe and secure. Yeah. So that's just like, take that out and put in self like if it is, it is all about you, man. You're like, yes, it's all about me. I, oh, I knew it. <laughs> and then you get a little bit older and you're like, oh crap. Right? It is all about me. This is all up to me. I have to create yeah. the bookends of this world. Yeah. Because gang, the, the ironic thing is this. It's not the selfie that gives you a sense of self. It's acts of selflessness. You ask people to describe some of the most meaningful moments of their life, they will talk about um, courage or sacrifice. They will talk about something they did on behalf of others. 
right? That soldiers will look back and say, oh my gosh, those things that I did, that sense of bravery, I carry that with me now for the rest of my life. I, like, I really learned who I am, you know, or EMTs or firefighters or ordinary citizens who just know down in their hearts, no, it was those choices to put others first that actually gave me my deepest sense of self. Mm. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, right. In other words, other-centeredness. And, and so the contrast is, I said that God is the center of the kingdom of God, not the self. It's actually the Trinity. And the amazing thing is to watch how the Trinity operates. The Father exalts the Son. He literally gives him the throne. He gives him the kingdom. He turns all authority over to him. The Son turns right back around and gives all glory to the Father and the Spirit between them. It is an other-centered society that we were born out of and that we return to and learn to operate in. And you just hold up that, the other-centered society of the Trinity against the exalted self and the society it creates, which we call the world. And you go, yikes. Friends, you've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast, Sam and John Eldridge, in part two of a series that we're doing on the world, just trying to unpack this thing that the scripture seems pretty concerned about and saints down through the ages. What was Thomas Merton's line? The world is a shipwreck from which everyone has to swim for their life. Okay, so that's one view. Versus just drink it, breathe it, smoke it, swim in it, and never look at it. Well, we, we want to look at it. We want to try and help you look at it too. So thanks for tuning in. More to come next time.